Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Brian Pontarelli, founder and CEO at FusionAuth. Brian, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Hey, great to have you on. I know you're just up the road from me in Denver, so I love that. So let's, yeah, let's dive right in and tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I, I've been coding since I was, gosh, 10, probably. You know, grew up, I'm a Colorado native, grew up around, around town. I went to CU, actually got a computer engineering degree there. Worked at a handful of companies, including XOR, which is an old Boulder company. And then, you know, Orbitz and, you know, BEA before they were Oracle. And then eventually just kind of, you know, came up with an idea, went out on my own and, and started building about 14 or so years ago. So. Awesome. I'm also a CU buff. So a lot of overlap here. So <laughs> that's great. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about FusionAuth. So what products and services does FusionAuth offer? Yeah. So FusionAuth is a customer identity and access management tool. And essentially what that means is that we build things like login, registration, you know, multi-factor authentication, single sign-on, all of those types of features for apps, right? So we deal with developers that are building applications, want to add all of those security features, all of those, you know, user management features, but don't want to do it internally because again, it's pretty risky. It's hard to get right. You have a hole in your security, your toast, and then reliably, right? So I always like to say, if your login goes down, your, your cash register is closed, right? You, you don't make money um, because that's critical to most, most applications. So, so that's what it provides. There's a big distinction between workforce and, and customer. And so again, I, you know, one of the analogies I like to use is, you know, when you're paying people salary, you can make their login experience as painful as you want because, you know, you get a, you're paying them. When people are paying you money, you better make that login experience really simple and make it as fast as possible. They want to get into the app and they want to pay you money. Oh yeah, definitely. I know we've all had login frustrations. And so when we say app, would this be a web application, a mobile application, both? Yes, plus okay. console, desktop. So we work with game companies where they're on a PlayStation and you want to log in and you know, you kind of get one of those QR code, go to this URL. That could be Fusion Auth, right? That could be Fusion Auth powering that. Oh, interesting. And then what about like when I'm logging in the, to Amazon Video or Netflix on another TV or whatever, and it has a QR code, things like that too as well? Yep. That's, yep. The, that's the same. We can drive okay. some as well. Okay. Oh, that's awesome. So with, with your application, so who are you selling into? Are you selling into the, the developer, the CTO? You know, who are you reaching out to try to land prospects? Our main ICPs are, we go down to either product, larger companies might call that digital, right? And then CTO stack. So everything from CTO, VP of engineering, all the way down to like architects, engineers, those kind of folks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Makes a ton of sense. So I'm guessing, yeah, if you're going after apps, mobile consoles, so this, that kind of defines then the industries like technology industries. Anything else like niches that you go after with us that would be maybe we wouldn't think of? Yeah, we're pretty broad, right? So we deal with like banks. We've got actually a number of notable banks. Some of them I can't mention, but, you know, large scale banks with, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of customers. We work with game companies. We work with a lot of SaaS companies, right? Because their customers are then their users, right? So that that's a natural fit. And then a lot of sort of like non-technical companies, right? They just happen to have like an app, like a digital digital platform. So like insurance and, and those sort of folks. Automobile makers, we're talking to a couple of airlines. So you can kind of see it's it's really broad and, and we solve a really general 
use case. Yeah, definitely. I can see that. Yeah, really interesting. And then, so what year did you found the company? So that's a really good question. I always like try to remember when I like quit the day job. So the company was actually founded, created, incorporated in 2005. And then I believe I quit my day job in 2008. It's either 2008 or 2009. I can never remember the exact, mm -hmm. but somewhere around there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay. And then, yeah, tell us a little bit about that, you know, because that's obviously really common is maybe starting this up on the side. So founded in 05. So was just, was this a side project, you know, you're coding it and then reached some mass where you felt comfortable of, of making that jump? Yeah, it's actually it's a friend of mine and I kind of dreamed up a new web and we're like, well, HTML, you know, HTTP, these are all like, you know, old school. Let's, let's like recreate the web. And so we founded the company to do that actually built a prototype, built a specification, like did the whole thing. And then as expected, that's a really, really hard problem to solve. And like the amount of, you know, momentum that the current web has is basically like insurmountable, right? There's, there's no way we could have done that. So we tabled that, sat on the company, and then I started building a profanity filter nights and weekends. And, and that actually became what we now, one of our products, which is CleanSpeak. And so I launched CleanSpeak, again, just kind of doing it nights and weekends. And then once CleanSpeak had enough momentum, enough revenue to justify me jumping ship, that's when I quit the day job. You know, my original co-founder left the company, you know, a couple of years after. And then it took us about, I think about seven years, seven or eight years, maybe even 10 after that to really start working on FusionAuth. And then FusionAuth is what actually ended up ramping. So we... We used one product to fund another product, which was mm -hmm. a bootstrap the whole time. Okay. Yeah. I appreciate that insight. So definitely a journey for, for you and then just pivoting and, and finding that product market fit. So really yeah. interesting. So I think we talked a little bit of your, your headquartered in the Denver area then. Yep. Yeah. We're up North. Our, our office is in Broomfield and, you know, good chunk of the companies here as well. Got, we've got a little more than half of the company in Colorado. Okay. And what's your current team size? That is a really good question because we've hired so many folks. I think last time I checked, we were at 31. Okay. We 32. I don't know. We continue to hire pretty rapidly. We started off this year. Oh, I want to say this. We started off this year like 15 or something. So, you know, pretty, okay. good, pretty good growth. Yeah. Yeah. Doubling. That's great. And anything you, you want to share around revenue or AR ranges? So we, we don't share that. And I've been, prep for many people, including investors and all that stuff. We don't share our revenue, sure. but I can say, I can tell you some like some awesome numbers, right? So mm -hmm. year over year, we're almost always doubling. A couple of years, we did better. Last year, we did 140% growth-ish. Team sizes, you know, continuing to grow. So we, we continue to see that scale and we've done it all the way bootstrapped up until October, right? When we took, took our funding. But the nice position to be in is that, you know, we, we didn't need the funding. We took the funding to help us accelerate, right, on an awesome trajectory mm -hmm. that we already had versus a, a lot of folks that get money before they have an idea or before they have product market fit or before they have scale. Well, we did it the opposite way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Love that. So tell us, before we talk fundraising or, or that equity investment, tell us a little bit about your go-to-market motion. How are you finding 
the the product folks, the digital folks, the t- CTO stack to sell into? So we do a lot of content marketing. So mm-hmm. SEO is pretty pretty much one of our you know bread and butter. We also run a lot of like developer oriented ads, and we look for developer platforms or developer outlets that we know we can advertise in, and they'll just you know send us good good contacts, send us good developers. So we, you know, we do newsletters, we do like Twitter, Facebook. Well, we don't do Facebook anymore, but we, you know, do Google, LinkedIn. And the way that we approach it is that we we're trying to you know, like hit the developer like right on. So we do a lot of memes or, you know, our ads are really ridiculous and kind of off the wall, or we're providing them like immediate value by like, here's an ebook that's like solely on OAuth and it's, you know, it's, it's vendor agnostic. So just enjoy. So we do a lot of that as well. Okay. Appreciate that insight. So yeah, now let's talk fundraising. So recent, I don't know how you characterize, maybe a, a growth equity investment. So tell, me, tell us how much capital you've raised to date now. Yeah. So growth equity investment is 65 million mm-hmm. from Updata Partners. And uh, yeah. Yeah. That's about it, I guess. <laughs> that's great. And yeah. so tell it's us. A, round, by the way. Yeah. So just the one raise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's great because yeah, bootstrapped up to this point. Mm-hmm. And so- what was that trigger or milestone that led you to that equity investment then? But, you know, because, you know, bootstrap for a long time, a lot of pivots, changing product, finding product market fit, scaling, doubling in growth. So what did you see or, you know, to, to then decide on, on that investment? So I've been talking to a lot of firms, either PEs, VCs, strategics, and investment bankers, and just kind of getting the lay of the land. Like, what does the landscape of software look like? When do you take on a growth equity round? When do you look for an acquisition? Like all of those questions. And the the sort of running consensus is that it's like, okay, when you're gunning for 10 million ARR, when you're like getting scale, when you see product market fit, you know your ICP, basically have everybody in place for each of the main stacks, you know, marketing, sales, all of that. Um, it's a good time to start looking at things, right? And so we hit, we checked all the, the boxes, right? I mean, like, so we, we got into the, that sort of like that butter zone, that sweet spot. And we're just like, okay, let's start talking to people. Well, interestingly, like, all of those people sort of came to us in January, February. And we're like, hmm, feels like kind of a down market, but we're getting like all of this interest. Maybe there's something here. And so we, you know, we ran a full, full process to see what it all looked like. And then, you know, ended up with the, you know, growth equity investment. Route. Okay, that's great. And then through that, you know, talking about full process for the growth equity investment, did you go alone on that and just your team handles that? Or did you hire any advisors or bankers to help you through that process? Yeah, hired a banker. We did, they did a ton of legwork, right? They, they built a lot of spreadsheets. They answered a ton of questions. They, they, you know, managed lots and lots of parties and lots of things. It was a down market, right? But we still had a ton of interest, which is great. And they helped manage it. So yeah, I think that it was it was it was a good move, right? I mean, obviously there's things that come up in any process and you know, like, you know, people the stressors are high, tensions get high, but in the end, like getting help is always beneficial, I think. Yeah, definitely uh, for a big event like that. And then for other founders who are considering that, you know, and you said, you know, we've got ICP, we found product market fit, we're gunning for 10 million ARR, maybe we're you know, we're, you were, we're scaling nicely where this could come into a play, you know, into play with a strategic acquisition or investment or growth equity investment. 
any lessons learned in that process this year as you went through that equity investment that you could share with founders? Sure. So anytime you're looking for like an acquisition or growth equity investment, you're just understanding like what due diligence looks like, getting your head right and, and understanding like what a, like a majority investor, you know, minority looks like. Talk to people that have done it before and get your head set, right? Because like it's, it was a lot more work and a lot more intense than I knew because I just went into it kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing. So if, you know, hindsight 2020, if somebody would come down and said like, okay, this is actually what it's going to look like. This is how long it's going to take. This is how painful it's going to be. This is what they're going to ask you for. This is what you're going to end up with. Like gave me like sort of the playbook. I would been in a much better you know, place. This yep. is totally different than venture capital, right? Venture capital due diligence is shorter. They're betting on a lot of people. You know, they know their playbook. Go spend a bunch of money. Try and, you know, get your company 10, 20, 100x. You know, that's that's pretty standard for them. Yeah. Growth equity, private equity, you know, strategic acquires going to be much different. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's great. That makes a lot of sense. You appreciate that insight. So, Brian, at this stage of your business, do you have a favorite number or metric that you're focused on to guide the business? I mean, revenue growth is always is always nice. Right? I mean, that's what everybody targets. But like in beyond like just pure revenue growth, we have a lot of sort of like developer metrics. How many people are downloading the product? How much engagement do we have on the product? How many people are like using it in production that are not paying? Still a great metric, right? How many people hit our docs? We, we track website visitors in this really interesting way where we say, okay, website visitors are nice, but like, what about the website visitors that come to the website, hit the docs and stay longer than like 30 seconds? That's actually a real indicator that are like, they're probably using the product, right? So people can tell like, oh yeah, we had like, you know, 10 billion website visitors last month. And it's like, well, how many of those were actually real and not junk? And so you have to boil it down. And what we we found is like when you boil it down to that, like the big numbers are fun, but the real numbers are real numbers, right? Because it's and it's a fraction, sometimes like fractions of fractions. It's like tiny little percentages of your real users. But be realistic and say like, okay, well, we got, you know, a thousand visitors this month that like fit that profile. That's still pretty good. We close like, you know, even one percent of that. You get 10 new customers, right? So do do real number use real math right don't don't inflate your numbers because it's just they're fun but they're they're meaningless yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense and then and then at your, this stage of business before we wrap up here with that investment and now this new stage of the business what are you focused on is it is it continued product development is it boosting your go-to-market motion where are you focusing right now on your business it's mostly go-to-market so internally we kind of like to joke a little bit. It's like, we came out of the gates with a completely functional production-ready product. Not a lot of people do that. Our product is also downloadable, which is very different than what most of the people in the industry do, which means that if you're going to download this and run this in production, it better be rock solid. So the product's not done, but it's certainly usable. Like we're always going to add new features. We're always going to improve the product. But now it's just a matter of like telling everybody we exist and going out and selling it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I love that. So again, Brian, really appreciate your time today. So what's coming up next for Fusion Off? 
So we got some really cool features that we're building, some new registration things that are coming down. We're doing custom scopes, which is part of like a specification, right? And we're doing some really cool things with that to help a lot of our customers. We got some new identity things, you know, protecting accounts and like how do you identify people that don't have email addresses and those kind of things. That's really cool stuff. So lots of product things coming down next year. So, we are, you know, stay tuned, you know. That's great. That's great. Well, I appreciate that. So if listeners would like to learn more about FusionAuth, where should we send them online? So just hit our website. FusionAuth.io is the best place to get information. We, all of our docs, our pricing, every product feature is listed there. We're very open, very transparent. We don't hide anything. You can get started right online without talking to a salesperson if that's your cup of tea. So that's the best place to go. All right. Well, sounds good. So if you'd like to learn more about Fusion Auth, check out FusionAuth.io. And Brian, really appreciate you sharing your experience and insights today. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on.